So if you want to grab your Bibles and find your place in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, while you're finding your way there, and if you don't have a Bible, that's totally fine. We'll throw it up on uh, the giant Bible behind me this morning so you can follow along. Um, But while you're finding your place there, uh, Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I have a a bunch of them. But one of the reasons why I really enjoy it is because it is a uh, like an ecclesiastical book. Um, It is to the church and for the church, and there there's so much practicality in the pages of the book of Ephesians. Uh, The Apostle Paul, one of the things that I love about him was he was a master communicator. He would deliver um, some really deep doctrinal content. And then he would turn around and throw some practical everyday application right at you. And that's what I love. That's what I love. Right now in my Bible reading plan, I am, and you know, sorry, Lord, but I'm just, I am being honest. I'm trudging through the books of Leviticus and Numbers, and I am struggling um, as I as I work my way through them. And I'm excited whenever I finally break out of Deuteronomy and get to step into Joshua. I'm all about seeing the walls of Jericho come down, but right now I'm reading about some... Uh, some feasts and some, you know, I just read this morning about um, somebody who took the Lord's name in vain and they just stoned him. And I was like, well, that might not be a bad deal, but um, it, it's, it, at least there was a little reprieve there from the, the genealogies. But um, here in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, Paul explains that we've been blessed with spiritual blessings in Christ And these blessings belong to us because we belong to Christ. And the emphasis of his writing in chapter 1 is that Christ has all authority. He had all authority back then. He has all authority today. Amen. And then in chapter 2, he begins to expound upon how salvation is by grace through faith, how that we were dead in sin, and now we are made alive in Christ. And because of that, we are doing works to glorify God. People ask, why does one church exist? Uh, We exist simply for the uh, ability and opportunity to glorify God and fulfill the Great Commission. And Paul begins to explain that in Ephesians chapter 2. And then he jumps into chapter 3 and he begins to talk about what it means to be a minister. And he begins to expound upon how he prays to find spiritual strength. He talks about the power of prayer and about the necessity of spiritual strength. And then he jumps into chapter 4 and this is where Paul flips a switch, and he goes from explaining all of these doctrinal principles into some practical, pragmatic principles. And so chapter 4, verse 1, begins with every preacher's favorite word, therefore. And you've heard me tell the corny joke. You've heard other preachers tell the corny joke. When you see the word therefore, it's because God wants you to stop and see what it's therefore. And everybody's like, ha, ah, ha, you know. Okay. And so chapter 4 begins with therefore. Meaning, since all of these things are true in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he says, I want to transition into some practical things. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church, and for our benefit today, that we ought to walk worthy or consistent with the calling that we have been given. We ought to walk worthy of the call or live a life that is consistent with who we have been called. And so he jumps into chapters 5 and 6, and he begins to explain what that looks like. Looks like how we ought to walk in love one for another. At the end of chapter 5, he begins to talk about how husbands ought to love their wives and how wives ought to love their husbands. And then he jumps into chapter 6. Ephesians 6 1 is every parent's favorite verse in the room. My parents used to quote it all the time. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
I know that. I don't even have to look at it because I was forced to memorize that as a child. Not because they said memorize this, but because it was quoted almost daily in our home. And it was not quoted as a principle. It was quoted in more of a way that made it sound like a threat. Um, You know, children, obey your parents for this is right. You know, it was like that kind of a thing. Ephesians 6, 1. And so he he dives into that. But then um, in chapter 6, where we're going to pick up today, um, we see that the theme is walking worthy of the walk and knowing who you are and how to apply that identity in your day to day. And then he steps into the part of chapter 6 that we're going to be in as we journey through this new series called Marching Orders, starting in verse 10. When you're ready to jump into the chapter, say jump. Verse, chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here in your house. And thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive and that it's living, that it's breathing, that it's speaking and that it's moving in our hearts today. God, I pray that no soul would walk out these doors the same as they walked in. God, I pray in these next few moments that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight and that you would remove all distraction, bind the strong man, spoil his house today as we dive into this chapter and what you have for every uh, listening ear as a part of your church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. The church said... Stepping back into verse 10, I want you to see the very first word. Say it with me in verse 10. One, two, three. Finally, he says, hey, I've journeyed through all of this material leading up to this. And finally, the conclusion, the summation of these principles and this doctrine and this application is this. I want you to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Um, Over the course of the next few verses, he's going to say, be strong. Or depending on the translation you're reading, it might say, stand firm, stand firm, be strong. What he's saying this as he repeats it multiple times is this. This is not going to be easy. Standing for the Lord, taking a stand, or being strong, or living a Christian life, or walking a Christian walk, walking worthy of what God has called you, is not going to be sunshine and roses It is going to be a journey. It is going to be a battle. In fact, he's about to demonstrate to us through these principles that we are in the middle of a war. And so in verse 11, he says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I love how the King James says it. It says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When I read that as a kid, I just pictured like the wily coyote from the from the cartoons, like, and that's exactly what he is. He's always trying to set up schemes, and it might work for a moment, but in the end, the acme anvil is going to fall on his head. It's always exciting. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What he's saying here is this. We have an enemy. We have an enemy who is doing his dead level best to fight against you and I as we are walking, as we are marching as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, first of all, who is your enemy or what is your enemy? Your enemy basically surfaces in three different categories. The enemy is the world and the devil and the flesh. 
I'm even going to throw it up on the screen for you so you can write it down. The enemy is the flesh and the devil and the world. What do you mean? My enemy, first of all, uh, sometimes <laughs> the greatest enemy is what's within me. Hey, while I'm living in this skin and these bones, I am going to have some struggles. And I am fighting against my flesh because my flesh wants things that my spirit does not want. In fact, the same writer, the Apostle Paul would write, Hey, there are times that the thing I want to do, that's not what I do. And the thing that I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And he's saying, Hey, I am in a constant battle against myself the enemy is the flesh the enemy is the devil um, the devil uh, means the accuser or Satan specifically when Satan was booted out of heaven for his pride and his sin he takes a third of the angels with him we call them demons they were formerly angels in heaven and what's exciting is hey for every one demon that Satan has on his side God has two angels ready uh, to take up his side so Satan always loses Jesus always wins and so I'm fighting against the devil. And I'm fighting against the world. What is the world? The world is the system that Satan uses to attack the church and to attack the believer. Listen, Jesus uh, began to say, as the Pharisees were accusing him of using the power of the devil to cast out demons, um, he said, no, a, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He said, hey, listen, Satan never fights against Satan. The world never fights against the world. What's happening is Satan and demonic forces will use the world, will use that system to come against the purpose and the plans of Almighty God. But here's the good news, the spoiler alert, is that at the end of the book, we win. We're seeing some struggles, and we may lose a couple battles here in our flesh, but the war has already been won. But it's very important that we understand who we're fighting against. We're fighting against an enemy, demonic forces, Satan and his angels, my flesh, my wicked desires, and the system that the enemy uses to come against the purpose and the plans of God. So the Apostle Paul in verse 12 says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Let me go back and I'm going to read that. I want you to read it with me. For we do not wrestle against... Who do we not wrestle against? Who? Now see, that's really important for us to understand. Because Paul just says, hey, in this walk and in this war, we have an enemy. And that's where everybody would have said, you are right, we have an enemy. I've got an enemy living in my house. I've got an enemy living up the street from me. I've got an enemy that I work with. And so Paul steps in and he says, hey, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What he's saying is our enemy is not human. The thing that we are fighting against is not related to you. <laughs> It is not a person. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That is not our enemy. Because he would have said, hey, against the schemes of the devil. And I imagine that people's personalities weren't all that different back then than they are today. And they would have said, have you met my sister? She's the spawn of Satan if she's not actually the devil. You know, have you met my mother-in-law? You have no clue what demonic power looks like until you've met her. You know, like he would have said, hey, we're fighting against the schemes of the devil. And they would have said, well, the devil uh, works with me. The devil is actually my boss. And he's going, hey, 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 first of all, you need to know we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But watch this. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. 
Who's our enemy? He says, hey, we're fighting against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, the Apostle Paul loves to use this terminology, heavenly places. He uses it all throughout the book of Ephesians to describe the spiritual realm. He's talking about the spiritual realm. He's talking about something that is happening on a different dimension than what is being witnessed with our human physical eyes. And so in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he says that the spiritual realm or heavenly places is the home of our blessings. That what we are doing here is not to lay up for ourselves treasure on earth where thieves break through and steal and where moth and dust can corrupt. He says we're working to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And our real reward is in heavenly places. It's not here. And so people that are striving for an award and for recognition, for trophies and wealth on this side of eternity... Jesus says you have your reward that's all that you get but those who love Jesus Christ know that it's not about what we have now it's about what we will be able to place at his feet then our reward and our blessing is found in the spiritual realm in chapter 1 verse 3 in chapter 1 verse 20 we see that Jesus is seated in heavenly places the Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God He says he has all power and all authority and he is seated in heavenly places where our blessings are. And then in chapter 2 verse 6 Paul says that you and I are seated there with him in heavenly places in the spiritual realm. Pastor, you mean I'm two places at one time? Yes. And we're going to dive into that in just a moment. In chapter 3 verse 10 we see that the angels operate from there. The angels operate from heavenly places, from the spiritual realm. And then in chapter 6, verse 12, which we just read, we see that not only do the angels operate from heavenly places, but the demonic realm operates from there as well. And I want you to understand this. And I I want you to write this down. This is so important. Listen, everything visible is affected by something invisible. Everything visible is affected... By something that is invisible. In other words, every physical fruit has a spiritual root. Every physical fruit has a spiritual root. And listen, if you get a hold of this, it will transform the way that you live. If you come to grips with this, if you truly get a hold of this truth, of this concept, this is going to change the way that you pray. Because some of us are praying for uh, physical side effects to be taken away rather than targeting the spiritual root at the cause of the issue that we're facing. If you will get a hold of the concept that everything physical is being affected by something spiritual, that every physical fruit actually has a spiritual root, it's going to change the things that you're looking for. And so Paul is about to list some equipment that we're going to need in order to operate in the spiritual realm with authority from the physical realm with authority and so he's going to begin to explain this at the end of chapter 6 we call it the armor of God in verse 11 he says put on the armor of God put it on the reason he says those two words put on the armor of God is because this is something that requires our attention. It requires action. It requires you to do something. It's like the doctor providing you the medicine and you must take it. 
Simply having the bottle of your prescription in your possession does not in and of itself take care of your problem. The doctor prescribes the medication, you must take it. It's like the chef providing you the meal. The chef gives you the meal, but you must take the fork and put it into your mouth. Simply having the food in front of you does you no physical good. In fact, it causes more harm than it does good. It makes you a little bit more hungry. It's like the store providing you with the materials that you need. They provided the materials. They put them into a beautiful box. But it requires you to assemble. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm getting ready to give you and unpack for you the whole armor of God with a, a, a little you know, fine print that says some assembly required. And so what he's about to do is break up the armor into two sets of three. The first set of three are introduced with B verbs. Uh, like the word having. This is a state of being. This is a uniform we must always be careful to put on. And then the second set that we're going to dive into over the next couple weeks are, are given take verbs. They're uh, like tools that we use on a as-need basis. So the first three are a uniform, like a baseball uniform. The second three are tools, like a baseball bat or a baseball glove. The first one is the uniform, like what you wear when you go to your job. The second set are the tools that you use, different tools to accomplish different purposes. And so he jumps in to verse 13 and he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I said, Pastor, I, like I hear you say that we're operating in the physical on a spiritual level. How in the world can I be two places at once? I imagine this is a whole lot easier for us to understand than it would have been for the Ephesian church because just this last week I had the opportunity to be in my home in Tennessee while on the screen in a conference room with a church in Australia. I was in both places at one time. Where was I? I was in my home in Tennessee, but if you were to ask any of those gentlemen, they would have said that I was very much so present, and my consciousness, my attention, my words, and, and my sight were all directed at a conference that was happening in Australia. Where was I? I was in both places. I was influencing both places at the same time. And so he says, hey, it, just like technology has given us the opportunity to be in more than one place at one time, you are operating from the physical, but you are operating also in the spiritual. Every physical fruit has a spiritual root. And he says, you're going to need to take the whole armor of God so that you can withstand in the evil day. What is the evil day? When I first started reading this passage, it was something that we memorized whenever I was a kid. Um, I thought that the evil day was something that came in the book of Revelation. I thought that the evil day was something we were going to encounter, you know, years and years down the road. But Paul is giving something very practical. He's giving a principle for our daily application. What is the evil day? Simply put, the evil day is the day that all hell breaks loose on you. The evil day is the day when Satan and his, and, and his demons decide that they're coming to attack you. He says this armor exists for you to put on so that you can withstand in the evil day. How many of you ever been in an evil day? Anybody ever been in an evil day? There's a few people in here and didn't raise their hand. They've never been in an evil day. 
Uh, let me tell you something. You're, you're in one of three categories. You're either going into an evil day, you're in the middle of an evil day, or you're just leaving one and preparing for the next one. If you have never been in an evil day, you're not human. You're not dead. You're, you're dead, okay? I'm going to try it one more time. How many of y'all ever been in an evil day? Okay, I've been, in, I've been in some times in my life where I felt like all hell broke loose and that the enemy was coming against me with reckless abandon. And he says, I want you to put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand the attacks of the enemy in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, the next word of verse 14 is stand. Multiple times he says, stand. I want you to take a stand. You're going to need to stand. This is not a passive thing. This is not a, while I sit here on my blessed assurance. No, this is a battle and we're not sitting. We're going to take a stand. He says, having done all to stand. How do I stand? How do I do that? How do I operate in the spiritual realm? Because I want to take, listen, I know that I've been through some evil days where I fell to temptation. I know that I have encountered some evil days where I fell into sin. I know that you've been through some evil days. Maybe it was multiple evil days right in a row. Maybe it was an evil year where you felt like every day that you woke up, the temptation was in front of you. The enemy was coming against you. Everything around you seemed like it was pressing in to crush you and to kill you, and you didn't know how to take a stand, so you ended up falling. I don't know about you, but I don't want to constantly be being pushed over by the enemy. I don't want to be a pushover Christian. I don't want the world to be able to knock me down. I want to be able to stand firm. I want to be able to take a stand how do I stand in the evil day? Here's what God says in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He gives us the, the first two pieces of this armor. Stand, having fastened on. This is something you have to apply. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I want to spend just a couple of moments with you breaking these two pieces of armor apart and seeing how you and I today and every day forward can put on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. If you're reading from the King James, the New King James, it may read, having your loins gird about with truth. Having your loins gird about with truth. And we read, it's the belt of truth. Having our loins gird about with truth. What is truth? I think in the day that we're living in, everybody is wondering, what is truth? I, I love listening to a man by the name of Ravi Zacharias. And he was sharing about how he and his family were attending a, a court case uh, where there's a jury, there's a judge, and there was a gentleman who was on trial um, he was being accused by two teenage girls. He was in ministry. He was being accused by two teenage girls of uh, doing something inappropriate to those two teenage girls. Um, but he was, he was pleading not guilty. And there in the courtroom, those two teenage girls were minors. And so they were uh, being interviewed from a, a live camera in a separate room. And the jury was watching the feed and the gentleman was sitting there in the room where all of the onlookers were hearing the girl's testimony. Um, but then the defense lawyer stood up and he began to paint the picture of what had taken place. How that this man, a member of the church and who was a, a, a volunteer in an important capacity, had found these two teenage girls uh, in a compromising place. 
And having witnessed that and they knew that he had seen them, he informed them he was going to let their parents know where he had seen them walking into and what he had seen them carrying with them. And rather than allow that man to get to their parents and let them know what they had done, they decided to accuse him of something, knowing the political climate that we're in today, knowing that typically when people like that are accused, they're not innocent till proven guilty, they're guilty by testimony. And Ravi began to speak about how there was never a time in his life where it felt more important for the truth to be known as this man's life hung in the balance, as his future hung in the balance. What is truth? And as we wake up in the morning when our alarm clock goes off, it's not uncommon for many of us in the room to grab our phone first off. And to open up a social media application and be, begin scrolling through things that just aren't true. It's not uncommon for us to turn on a television screen where there are talking heads spouting out words at us that are simply not true. Just about everything that we hear, no matter what platform it is that we go to, could be labeled hashtag fake news. And we're living in a day where people are asking the question, what is truth? In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered this question. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. In his words, Jesus begins to create a beautiful uh, math equation where he says, I am or I equal truth. Jesus equals truth. Here's what we come to understand, that God is equivalent with truth and something that is completely true must have come from God. It would be equivalent with Him. Know this, that if it comes from God, it is always true. And if it is true, it came from God. You cannot separate God from truth and you cannot separate truth from its creator, the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. Jesus says, I equal truth. In John chapter 15, verse 26, he says, Hey, when the Helper comes, who I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus says, I am truth. The Father is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. We're talking about the Spirit of truth. What is truth? Truth is what comes from God. In other words, truth is our starting place or truth is an absolute standard by which reality is measured. Truth is an absolute standard by which reality is measured. If we could put it in a spiritual context, truth is God's view on any subject. If God said it, that settles it. I know I love the old song. I love the old saying, God said it and I believe it and that settles it. Listen, God said it, that settles it. doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Truth is God's view on any subject. So if truth is God's view and if all truth comes from God, truth has to be then our starting place. I think it's incredible. And I don't know that the armor was given in a, a specific order for a specific reason, but I can read into it a little bit and, and comment on uh, the, the awesomeness that truth happens to be the very first piece of armor that is given because truth is our starting place for life. Truth is our beginning point for our walk with Jesus Christ. Everything must begin with truth or it will end in destruction. 
we're to fasten on the belt of truth. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to see that there is a piece of armor called the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. The sword of the spirit would have been sheathed in a piece of material that would have hung from the belt of truth. In other words, on truth hangs the word of God. Everything that you encounter and experience, see and say, must begin from a point of an all-encompassing truth. An absolute standard by which reality is measured. Now listen, truth is more than facts. Truth is more than facts. Because you can have a fact, but not have the whole truth was listening to a pastor this week who began to tell his testimony about how he was encountering these headaches every single day, all these headaches. He said, fact, I had a headache. Fact, Tylenol would help me with my headache for a period of hours. And so he was medicating a symptom because he knew the fact, I do have a headache. He knew the fact, Tylenol does help. But after several months of this, he went to the hospital and a scan revealed that in his brain he had a tumor. Fact, there is a headache. But the truth of the matter is there's a tumor. There's a much deeper issue which is going to require surgery and treatment. Listen, in order for it to be true, it has to be, in order for it to be truth, it has to be all-encompassing. It's either all truth or it's not truth at all. And I believe that that picture is given to us clearly in the fact that this is the only piece of armor that goes all the way around. Your shield can only face one direction at a time. The sword of the spirit can only cut in one direction at a time. Your breastplate can only face forward. Everything only faces one direction, but truth goes all the way around because it's either all truth Or it's not truth at all. We say, well, I'm going to give somebody a little bit of the truth. I'm just going to leave a part out of it. Listen, it's all truth or it's not truth at all. Truth goes all the way around. Here's why they would have uh, worn uh, the belt of truth. Listen, um, because in this culture, in this society, and Paul is, is probably writing from prison here, so he's looking at something right in front of him, and he's painting a picture that they would have been extraordinarily familiar with. And so um, in this society, whether you're an Israelite or you're a Roman, um, you would have worn a really long flowing robe, as was their culture. And so this long flowing robe um, gave you all kinds of uh, protection from the elements and uh, kept you cool during the heat of the day, kept you free from uh, sun poisoning and everything. But because you're in a long flowing robe, we saw a couple of weeks ago that you're going to have to lift the robe up in order to take some big steps or in order to stride, in order to run. And so what they would have done is they would have taken this massive flowing garment and they would have brought it up between their legs and they would have tucked it into their belt, giving them freedom to move in any direction free of any obstacle or any hindrance from them taking a step. Listen, truth is what allows us to walk with Jesus Christ. Truth is what allows us to take steps forward in our faith. Truth is what holds everything together. And if you don't have truth, you will be tripped. Life, the things that are on you, the things that are around you, they will trip you up unless you tuck everything into the belt of truth every single day. I started 
uh, as I was reading this and I started thinking about the importance of a belt, um, my dad um, and my, my family were all very, very strict. My great-grandfather, my grandfather, my dad, and, and I, I celebrate that. I'm so thankful for a lot of what they raised me in. And so um, you'll hear me tell all kinds of stories about them, but they did things very particularly and so my dad trained me when I was a little, little kid that we, we put our clothes on in a particular order. And we do not go anywhere without a belt. I wore a belt every single day. And if there were pants that did not have belt loops on them, we did not wear them. You wear a belt. It's what you do. The belt is supposed to be lined up with the, the little zipper line and with the, the crease of your shirt. And the, like all of those things, it was very militaristic, if that's a word. I just created it, put it in the dictionary. Um, and so militant, that's the word, militant. It was very militant. You know, you do everything in a particular order. And he would say, this belt is a piece of your uniform. It's a piece of equipment. You don't leave the house without it. You wear a belt because you don't want to be looking like those guys whose pants are sagging down. Bless their hearts. We're probably going to start a fund like, um, to help buy some of those guys' belts because it's really it's hurting them. I mean, they're not able to do a lot of things that normal people can do because they can never release one hand from their pants or their pants would be on the ground. You remember that guy a couple years ago that did the song, Looking Like a Fool with Your Pants on the Ground? Y'all remember that? Well, I was 16 years old, and I was working at uh, summer camp, and, and I love camp, and one of the things that I love about it is getting to be a part of these crazy, ridiculous skits, because I am myself whenever I get to be loud and ridiculous, and so um, we're doing one of these skits, and we had done it week after week. I mean, we're nearing the end of the summer season, and, and I know what's coming. You know, I don't always know what night, but there was one particular skit where these two guys would turn me upside down and they would shake all of this pocket change out of my pockets and it was a part of this, you know, bigger thing and it was really funny and, you know, we had a great time. Um, on this one particular night, though, I was 16 years old, 450 teenagers in the crowd. I'm a teenager myself, so you know that, like, you're, you're kind of stressed out being in front of your peers because no one is as brutal as, as teenagers, they're brutally honest. I appreciate that sometimes. Um, and so I'm, I'm up there on the platform, but like I had just finished cleaning the dining hall when I heard the bell ring for the evening service to start. And so I just sprinted over there in my cleaning clothes because I you know, wasn't allowed to be late. But my cleaning clothes were some, some sweatpants that I was wearing. They do not have belt loops on them. Now, listen, we got into the middle of this skit and all of a sudden reality begins to hit. We're about to have a problem because we've done this a particular way six weeks prior and we're stepping into week number seven and we get to the point in the skit where they turn me upside down. But they didn't realize that I wasn't wearing the pants that I normally wear. And so on the platform, out I came. <laughs> Changed my life forever. <laughs> like I used to be an introvert and now here I am. Like, um, you know, everything. And you know what? I owned several belts. I had one. I just hadn't applied it. I owned them. They were in my room, several of them, different materials and different colors. I knew about them. I had worn one every day, but it just so happened that on this particular day, my loins were not girt about, and they ended up being exposed to everyone in the room. Like, listen, you want to make sure that you don't just own something, but that you apply it, because that day I was looking like a fool. I was on the ground. The pants were in the air, but listen, my dad was 
is, was iterating a principle in me as a kid that is found in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. There, Jesus says, you want to stay dressed for action. He says, you want to make sure that your loins are always girt about. You want to make sure that you're always prepared. And listen, in this time in history, loins, that it comes from a Greek word, uh, osphis, implied more than just your waistline of an individual. Loins were the source of a generative power. In other words, a person's loins indicated their ability to reproduce and to create a future for their family. It's their spawn. It's their creation. Everything that is to come begins in the loins. And so uh, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, begins to say, hey, when we're talking about your loins, we're not just talking about your generative power. We're talking about the loins of your mind. We're talking about your mind being able to reproduce thoughts and create a future for yourself. What Peter was illustrating and what Jesus was getting at in Luke chapter 12 was this. Everything that you create comes from here. Everything that you create in your future starts with a thought. And listen, you've ever, have you ever like you've been disciplining one of your kids and they've done something and you say, why'd you do that? And they go, I don't know. It wasn't me. It's just, it wasn't me. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, it, ha- it just happened and I don't know why I did it. It was like something just, it moved my arm to slap her in the face and I promise I didn't do it. Or, you know, listen, on a more serious note, there are people being tried in, in you know, courthouses all over the country uh, today who would say, I have no clue what happened. I mean, that, that wasn't me. I don't know how I got here. I didn't see that coming. Listen, everything in your future has to have a starting point. And its starting point is right here with this little three-pound thing in between your ears. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever stopped to think about what you think about? Because people say, I don't know how I got here, and I know exactly how they got there. It began with something seemingly harmless. It began with a thought. And if you're not dwelling on things that are true, Your successes in the future will be few. Listen, everything that you do begins with a thought. And you have the power and the ability to reproduce or produce a future with the thoughts that you think. David wrote, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Do you know what he was saying in that as he prayed that to the Lord? He said that the words of his mouth and the thoughts that he let pass through his brain are more than just hypothetical, invisible things. They are visible in the spiritual realm. The words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart are seen by God. And if you allow your mind to dwell in places that are filled with untruth, if you allow them, if you allow your thoughts to be captivated by things that are lies, you will live a useless, struck down, defeated life. He says you want to make sure that your loins are gird about with truth. Here's the other thing about that belt, though. That belt would have been more than just a waistline sort of a belt. It would have gone across the shoulders as well because they're keeping all of this long flowing material inside. And on that belt 
hung badges of past victories. If you've ever seen a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout and they've got those badges all over their uniform or over their sash, get that straight from these biblical times. On that belt of truth hung the badges of past victories. And I just can't help but scroll through the pages of God's word, which is truth. And think about all the times that Jesus has done miraculous things. And wonder why it is that we doubt that he'll do it again. But if I allow my mind to be encompassed, circumferenced, if I allow my mind to be covered and completely enclosed and withheld and bound in truth, that'll change everything. What is truth? Truth is Jesus Christ. And everything must be tucked into him. Truth is the starting point of the armor, and it's the starting point of life. And I wonder, could I challenge you with something practical? Would you try something this week? I mean, just give it a shot. Just give it seven days worth. What if you made truth the starting point of your day? I wonder how it might change everything for you. How when you set that alarm on your phone, which let me be old school for a second and, and encourage you. Hey, hey, parents. Do not let your kids use their phone as their alarm clock because they will use that phone for other things when the lights go out. And what they do, God will hold you accountable for. Plug the phone in in the kitchen. But you will be amazed at the level of joy that they will experience waking up, not having gone to bed dwelling on all of the things that they've been comparing themselves to with social media. Let's go ahead and have some parental leadership in the home and some accountability. Let's plug the phone in in the living room. You don't need to sleep with it. There is no person and no reason that your kid needs to have that phone in their room behind a closed door. Somebody give me an amen. amen. Hey, parents. Hey, married couples. Plug your phone in in your living room. Because there are married people things that you need to be doing that your phone is distracting you from. There are conversations you need to have that your phone is distracting you from having. And we make untruth the ending of our day. And because we use our phones as our alarm clocks, we make it the beginning of our day. Because we grab that phone, we turn off the alarm, and like a habit, we open up Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or a news app or something like that. And you go, wow, you're young, but you're sounding really old. Listen, um, there is a reason why depression and anxiety is at an all-time high around the world, especially in nations that are highly motivated and driven by social media. You tell me that those things aren't connected. Let me tell you some things that Momo can't get in. A trampoline outside. Anybody's parents ever lock them outside and say, come inside when the lights go on? Anybody that ever happened? Cool. Maybe, like, give them, give them Jenga or something like that and take their... I'm just giving you some practical stuff today. Think on this. I know some teens are going, oh, crap, I'm never coming back here again. But listen, <laughs> this is going to change your life, and it's going to help you out. Listen, make truth the starting point of your day. So rather than start my day with Facebook, what if I started my day by putting my face in the book? Like a literal Bible. Well, I have the Bible app on my phone. That's fantastic. You can use that another time. But make it a little bit inconvenient to have to grab an actual book and say, God, I'm giving this time to you, and I'm not going to be distracted by any pop-ups or notifications. I can put my phone on Do Not Disturb. Yeah, but do you? Okay, 
let's, let's start our day with some truth and see what it does. Let's come back next week ready to share a testimony about what starting our day with truth did. Anybody take the truth challenge? Anybody take the truth? Okay, I think it's going to change your week. Share with somebody on the community page this week about how it changed your day by starting your day with the truth of God. In other words, hey, I don't know on the news what's true and what's not. I don't know on social media what's true or what's not. I don't know in this world what's true and what's not. But I do know that the word of God has always, is always, will always be true. And it's relevant and it's applicable to my day today, yesterday, and forever. And so if I tuck my thoughts and my day neatly into the belt of truth, if I tuck everything into the person and the faith of Jesus Christ, I am going to be put together. I'm going to be walking and I'm going to be striding. I'm not going to be tripping by everything that the enemy throws in my way. His word is truth. He is truth. The belt of truth. And then he says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this breastplate would have been one of two types accomplishing the same purpose. It, in some cultures, would have been a, a thick piece of linen that they would have sewn animal hooves and pieces of metal into to kind of create a chain mail. Or most often it would have been that molded piece of metal that you've probably seen a picture of. Now the breastplate was cut to specific dimensions for a specific purpose. It would cover from your neck to your bowels. And it did that for a particular reason. The breastplate of righteousness was to protect your heart and your bowels. Your heart and your bowels. And scripture gives us this very practical uh, physical application for a, a spiritual root. Here, here's what righteousness will do for you. Righteousness or right with Godness. Righteousness will guard your heart. In scripture, your heart has to do with your intent. It has to do with your, your, your intentions and, and your thinking. Um, so whenever we talk about guarding our heart, uh, we guard it with being right with God. We guard it with righteousness. And I believe that the reason why so many people's thinking is jacked up is because they have unrighteousness or unholiness in their lives. And I'm going to make you a promise this morning that for as long as I'm the pastor of one church, we're going to preach living a life of holiness because it's what Jesus preached. I'm not going to get up here and say, hey, go do whatever it is that you want because it's all good. The angels around the throne say one thing over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy. And God calls you and I to live a life of holiness. He said, be holy as I am holy. We are to live lives of holiness, of set-asideness, lives of righteousness so that we are in a right relationship with God. And when you live a life of intentional holiness and righteousness, it will guard your heart. Many Many people, and I'm not discounting, I am not in the least discounting those that have legitimate chemical reasons to need medication, not discounting that at all. In fact, we want to be a place where those people come and find safety, where we can help people like that get help. But studies would show that a Large, In fact, a majority percentage of those who claim anxiety and depression do not have a chemical problem. They have a thinking problem. And the reason why they have anxiety-ridden lives is not because they need pills. It's because they need to dwell in the promises of God. The reason why you're so tore up all the time is because you've got unholy things in your life. And listen... 
I'm not just talking about something that, you know, we would label, you know, oh, that's wicked, that's vile. I'm talking about the Bible says not to covet. Let's just bring it down on our level. The Bible says not to covet. Covetousness is unholiness. And if scrolling through everybody else's lives causes you to covet their life, you have unholiness in your mind. And the reason why you're so messed up all the time is because you have unholy covetousness in your heart. And your thinking isn't right because what you're viewing isn't right. Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. And we're going, wait, literally, do you mean that I should cut my hand off if it's causing me? No, no, no. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if there is something that is tripping you up, make it impossible for that thing to trip you up. Back to what we were talking about before. The greatest tripping agent of the enemy these days seems to be somebody's cell phone. Just about every problem that I hear about. Did you hear what they said about me? Did you see what they posted about me? Did you see what they did? Did you hear where they went? I mean, people, and like, so gossip, and then we're posting all of these things, and we're viewing all of these things. Listen, Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and he's never been more powerful than he is today. Guard your heart with righteousness. Put on righteousness daily. So that the wiles of the enemy cannot target your heart. But that breastplate also covered your bowels. Now in scripture, bowels were the seat of the emotions. Bowels were the equivalent of emotions. How many of you are glad that bowels are not anymore the seat of the emotions? It would ruin a lot of really good love songs. You know, even some classics, you know, like... Don't tell my bowels, my achy, breaky bowels. Like, you know, that, would, that song would be terrible. You know, like, um, exactly. It's already terrible, yeah. Like, it would change a lot of worship songs. You know, you don't give your bowels in peace. Well, I don't know about that. You know, it would, it would mess up a lot of things. I mean, imagine. I mean, imagine. Imagine being on that, like that. That, that, fine, that date where you were getting ready to have that conversation with your future wife. And I mean, you look deep into Kayla's eyes. And you said, baby, I love you with both my kidneys. Like, it, it wouldn't, you wouldn't want to do that. Like, no, like it would, it would mess up a lot of things. No, like bowels being the seed of the emote. But what he's getting at when he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness is this. Righteousness will guard your heart and it will guard your emotions. And the reason why people are so emotionally jacked up, again, unholiness, unrighteousness in their lives. And he says daily, we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And listen, this is where someone goes, wait a second, pastor. I hear what you're saying, but... I thought I had the righteousness of Christ. I thought I was covered. I thought I was good. I hear a lot of that these days. And uh, I'm so grateful because it really has challenged me to have to do some, some study. But you don't have to do much deep study uh, to see some pretty surface level principles. And so I want to show you about that in Philippians chapter 3. Where again, the Apostle Paul is writing under, under the inspiration of God. People say, well, I have the righteousness of God. In other words, hashtag God got me, I'm good. Listen, 
I was just reading this week. I was reading this week about a pastor. His name is John MacArthur. He was writing about a couple gentlemen in his church. And he was, he was confronting some unholiness, some unrighteousness in, in a biblical way. And so one of the men was known to just cuss like a sailor. No joke. He, um, he, just, he would just let it out. And, and so Pastor MacArthur went to him and he's like, hey, um, I think we need to let the Holy Spirit do a little bit of cleanup in your language. And he said, oh, I mean, I've got the righteousness of Christ. I've got the grace of God. I'm good. Pastor MacArthur was like, oh, okay. You probably don't have the Holy Ghost living inside you. He confronted a gentleman in his church who was a uh, regular to a local strip club. And he said, sir, you're doing this. You're going here. You're participating in that. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. And he said, oh, Pastor MacArthur, um, that's not me. That's my old nature. And I read that and I thought, wow, if there aren't some American Christians guilty of saying the same thing. I know I did that, but that wasn't me. That was my old nature. That's the old man, but I'm covered. I'm good. I can do and say whatever I want. I don't need repentance in my life because God got me. Listen, I'm not going to be, I, I will not use this pulpit to single people out and use it as a platform for gossip, but I will use this pulpit to call out false doctrine. God's grace is not hyper. No. And when you see people tag this hyper grace garbage in their messages and postings and things like that, that does not come from God. God's grace was amazing when it saved a wretch like me and a wretch like you. And it does not need any help from me or you. It's good all by itself. This hyper grace message says you can live whatever kind of way because God's got you. You've got the righteousness of Christ. So you're asking the question, and rightfully so, am I covered in the righteousness of God or do I have to put on righteousness daily? The answer to your question is yes. Let me show you in Philippians chapter 3. Watch this. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, what he's talking about here is imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is given upon salvation. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and your standing in eternity never changes. When God looks at you, he sees someone who is forgiven by the blood of Jesus. No sin, no thought, no circumstance can separate you from the love of God. You are covered by the righteousness of God that depends on faith but there is not a period here the thought continues on what is the righteousness of God for it's for a purpose verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death what am I dying to dying to sin 
that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then he says in verse 12, he says, so you've got the righteousness of Christ. It's covered you and it's been given to you so that you can know him, so that you can die to sin and live in righteousness. And listen, in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul says, you are not perfect. I am not perfect. It's why we emphasize our one rule here at One Church. No perfect people allowed. Because if you're perfect, you are not human. And we do not want any aliens in our church. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I, what? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why do I press on? Because Christ made me his. And because he made me his, I want to make everything that is his also mine. I press, I learn, I move forward, I apply, I hunger for. Is the imputed, it's the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ that makes righteous living possible. The, the Bible says that your, fil- your righteousness is as filthy rags. When you try to be righteous in and of yourself, like trying to keep the law, God says even your good deeds are evil and disgusting in my eyes. So unless you have been covered in the righteousness of Christ, nothing you do is righteous. It is the imputed righteousness of Christ that makes living righteous possible. Is this making sense? Is this making you getting this? You don't get to separate. Well, that's my old nature, and I'm covered in Christ. You don't get to divide the two and live any way that you want to. Because Christ has made you his, you are to live like you belong to him. Imputed righteousness doesn't mean that you will act perfectly in every situation. It just means you have the opportunity to. God's righteousness does not mean that you will never sin. It just means that you don't have to sin. Sin becomes your choice and not your identity. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize. The Apostle Paul says, walking for the Lord is a race and it is a battle. So let me ask you this. Are you ready to take a stand? You ready to fight? We're stepping into this springtime season where there's going to be all kinds of new life all around us. And the trees are going to bloom and everything's going to become green and colorful and all of those wonderful things again. We're stepping into the month of March. And because of all of those things, opportunities to live for things other than Christ are going to abound. Whenever I first came into this community, I had somebody tell me, Oh, you're going to hate church in the summertime because no one comes. And I said, I hate for you that it's like that, but we're not going to be a church like that. No, we're not going to do that because we value the promises and the principles of Jesus Christ and we can go to the lake after church. He said, you're going to hate 
living here and being around these people in the summertime because the way, no joke, I'm telling you for real. And this pastor and I do not have a lot of fellowship much anymore, but he told me, he's like, hey, you're gonna hate being here in the summertime because people do all kinds of things and they post it all over their social media. And I was like, it's not gonna be like that for us because we're gonna, we're gonna put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we're not only stepping into the month of March and into springtime, but listen, our church is stepping into new seasons as well. And as we step into new seasons, You've heard the, the phrase, new levels bring new devils. That's true, but it's, it's incomplete. It's a fact, but it's not a truth. The truth is this. New levels bring new levels of angelic protection. New levels bring new opportunities to serve God more. New levels bring greater promises from Scripture. New levels may bring new devils, but God's got every two. God's got two for every one that Satan has. So daily, I'm going to put on the armor of God because I'm coming to an evil day. You're going to encounter a day, maybe even this week, where it's going to feel like all hell broke loose. How are you going to stand? Are you going to let circumstances, situations, emotions, and thoughts knock you down? Or are you going to plant your feet and say, I'm standing as a good soldier for Jesus Christ? What will you do? Here's how you stand. Having your loins girt about with truth putting on the belt of truth, starting your day with truth and dwelling all day in truth. And if something is said to you that doesn't tuck into Jesus Christ and his identity and your identity in him, it's not something we keep. If I can't tuck it nicely into here, then I'm not worried about it. It's not true. It's not truth. And Satan, he's really good at giving facts how can someone who's so good at giving facts be the father of lies? Because he stands as the accuser of the brethren saying, hey God, did you see what they did? Did you see what they did? And he begins to speak in a voice of shame to you. Look at who you are. I mean, how could a child of God, you know, all these things. And you begin to question your identity. The fact of the matter is, you sin. The truth of the matter is this. You don't have to. So daily, I'm going to put on the belt of truth. I'm going to put on my identity in Jesus Christ, who is truth. And daily, I'm going to put on righteousness. I'm going to make a conscious effort to live for God. Because every day, with every word you speak, every thought you think, and every action that you take, you're casting votes on what kind of person you want to be cast a vote with every thought. Am I going to live a righteous life? Am I going to live an unrighteous life? It all begins with the votes you cast in your mind. And you know what? Good news. It doesn't take a unanimous vote to win. It just takes a majority vote. It doesn't mean that you won't struggle with temptation. It just means I'm going to cast more votes on living a life of, of righteousness and I'm going to bring myself over here. I'm going to put on righteousness. And I promise you that when you do, the thoughts that you think, your intentions, the future, your emotions, you're going to find them, not overnight, but slowly shifting toward a focus on who God is and who he has created you to be. So if you've ever even had a moment 
where you were like, I can't get my thoughts under control. I can't get these emotions under control. I'm dealing with some things in my mind and in my heart and in my emotion. If you've even had a day like that in the recent past, this armor is for you so that you can stand in the evil day. And I love this. And having done all to stand firm, stand. I've done everything I can do. Stand. Having done all to stand firm, what's your other option? Stand. And this week, I'm ready, and I hope you're ready, to take a stand. I'm not going to let emotions have their way in my life. I'm going to use emotions for what God created them to be, but I'm not going to let them run my life and make my decisions. No, I'm going to take a stand. I'm not going to let those thoughts that I allow my mind to drift into be the thing that creates my future. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I am going to take every thought captive and I'm going to tuck it into Jesus Christ, the belt of truth. I'm going to live a life filled with truth. Yep, I know. I've been, done some things and been some kind of way. That's, that's a fact. But the truth is, I'm a soldier and I'm more than a conqueror. And I'm going to tuck all that neatly into truth so I can take some steps and so that I can make a stand.